Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This episode has been brought to you by Bijou Indiscrets, the disruptive online store for all the best erotic accessories, pleasure toys, and intimate cosmetics. Bijou Indiscrets' primary purpose is to create a new vision of female sexuality and pleasure. Everything they produce is about enjoying more in a guilt and shame-free way, breaking taboos. Because at Bijou Indiscrets, the team believe that gender equality extends into the domain of pleasure and that the way to empower women is to create products which break the established rules and offer each and every woman tools with which to get to know and take charge of her own pleasure. There is nothing more empowering than knowledge. So why not discover more on their website, www.bijouindiscrets.com. That's www.bijouindiscrets.com. Welcome to The Happy Vagina, a podcast dedicated to celebrating pioneers in the female space who've made a difference in women's health, equality and relationships. Each week we chat to an inspiring human being as they explore the experiences that completely change their outlook, promising not only to educate but also to entertain and enlighten. And do we have an entertaining episode coming up for you today. I am absolutely thrilled to be joined by Amber Mallory, sex educator for Bijou Indiscret, which is a online shop where you can get sex toys, but also work out how you might want to explore fantasy. And that is what we are going to do a deep dive into today. For anyone who has been thinking that they might want to do a bit of a deeper dive into their own pleasure experience, you are in the right place. Amber Mallory, welcome to the Happy Vagina podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. As we were saying that we're both so excited to do this. So it's definitely made my week. <laughs> well, so far. <laughs> we're only on Wednesday. You don't know what's going to happen on Thursday, Friday. But I, can, I, I think I've got a feeling this is going to be my top highlight of the week too. Before we get going into your before we get going into all of the educational insights that you're going to give us and teachings in how to access fantasy within sexual relationships, I'm just going to throw at you the Desert Island Happy Vagina Quiz. Are you ready? Oh, okay. Wait, let me let me sit up straight, make sure I've got my blood <laughs> flowing. Okay, okay. I'm ready for the quiz. Let's see. <laughs> okay. Brief or G-string? G-string. Tampon or period pants? Period pants. Any reason why? I... I don't like when I, when it comes to my period, I try to like, let everything just flow. <laughs> like, and so I don't mind to have, um, or I prefer not to have anything kind of inside me. So I much rather just like free ball in a way. <laughs> Clitoral or G-spot? Clitoral. Always? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> because it's a stronger orgasm for you or are you not, have you not really managed to find your G-spot as of yet? 
I've found it, but I never really achieve orgasm. Like I can squirt that way, but I don't have orgasm. So for me, it's kind of like, I rather the orgasm, but I can enjoy the pleasure of the G spot. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Really interesting. Uh, Brazilian or bush? Brazilian. Morning or nighttime sex? I'm a nighttime person. <laughs> Do you find like if you have sex late at night and then you've got to go and clean your teeth, the cleaning teeth bit's really annoying? I tell my partner, I just say nothing, nothing in the mouth, anything like this. Like, <laughs> like I brush my teeth. So we're omitting that part for you right now. I'll get you later. Like a nice IOU. <laughs> Hang on a second. You avoid giving blowjobs by saying I've already cleaned my teeth. <laughs> the secret's out. <laughs> this is the top tip of all the tips that has ever been brought to us on that vagina podcast and I shall be stealing it. <laughs> thank you very much thank you very much for taking i'm so thrilled i asked you those questions thank you very much for joining us on the happy vagina quest uh all right let's get to it amber do you want to share a little bit with those listening about how you came into being a sex educator yeah i would love to so i grew up in a really small town in rural virginia and there was no sex education whatsoever and i grew up with a dad and two brothers so i was just surrounded by this very patriarchal, heteronormative, uh, toxic masculinity environment, especially about sex. Like, of course, especially female sexuality, you know, or any kind of in between. It was just about balls and penises. And this is funny and these kinds of jokes. And I was just like, this is horrific. I don't know anything about myself. And I saw this in my classmates as well. So I took it upon myself to become kind of the sex educator for my school. So people would come to me and it's kind of like that show, um, Sex Education, that's really popular. It's people would come to me with questions and I would either look up the answers or even I would bring like a Cosmo to school and I just spoke so openly about it. And then it kind of snowballed into um, my friends having me buy condoms for them because in Virginia where I live, they put them in these plastic cages So to get the condoms, you had to take them to the pharmacist and ask them to unlock it. And so people were so scared or they thought this was like an age requirement that you had to be 18. So I was like passing out condoms and wrapping them up in little gift bags to give to people. And so then I went to university and I was like, this is really what I want to do. So I applied for an internship at the Center for Sexual Pleasure and Health. And I told myself, if I get this, This is my sign. I'm not going to do the practical thing. A lot of people from Virginia um, end up working in the government. And I was like, this is not really the route, but I, you know, restore my family honor. Maybe I should kind of thing. And I got the internship and I haven't looked back. And I'm absolutely thrilled to be where I am now. And it's been an uphill battle, but I'm grateful for the people that I've met along the way and the opportunities that I've had access to. It's brought me here. So it's been a really great ride so far. (laughs) So can you just say a little bit more about Virginia and what the kind of regulations are um, or they were for you growing up and are at the moment around sex and particularly around abortion? Abortion, it's a big hot topic right now in Virginia because we have a new senator and people are kind of having this argument back and forth. So for the moment, we allow abortion up to nine or 18 weeks I don't or 12 I believe it's 12 weeks so like the typical the first trimester but this is it's a hot topic because Virginia is a very big state and so basically northern Virginia all close to DC this kind of area is what makes the state blue which makes it democratic 
as opposed to Republican, whereas a majority of the state would be red if it wasn't for this like highly concentrated area. Interesting, because in this little bubble, you have access and there are resources. But as soon as you leave, you run the risk of running into these kinds of fake clinics that they have where people pretend that they're doing abortion care. And it's really these kinds of pray and keep your child type of things and just very, very harmful overall. So for this is the kind of outlook in abortion in Virginia. But in terms of sex education, I don't think there's any regulations. In the United States, a lot of states, I said countries, I've been in Europe too long. <laughs> a lot of states basically go by the idea of you can say whatever you want. It's optional. People can tell medically inaccurate information. They don't have to include pleasure. They don't have to include gender. There's so many things. And a lot of times parents can completely take their children out. It's an optional course. So the, when you went to apply to go to university and you chose to apply for the course in sexual and reproductive, did you say? Se what yes. was the name, the title of the, of the college? So I went to Radford University. And what was the course called? So I created my own course because it was really hard in Virginia. So in the, the US, obviously, we all kind of know that university is outrageously expensive. And so in-state university is the way to go. It saves you like 30,000, you know, just moving over the border changes the whole game. So I went to this school because it was a very affordable school. They had great class sizes, but they had nothing for sex education. So when I got this internship, I used this to kind of supplement my education. And so I came to the psychology department because I was getting my degree in psychology. And I said, look, like I want to do sex education. Let me build this whole entire course. I've been doing this internship. I have the framework. I have the means. And they let me write it all up. And they had a faculty advisor assigned to me who was actually a sex therapist. They came, I think, my senior year at university. So I got them at the very end. And so I spent the last semester talking about lubricants. And the osmol, I always say osmolity, basically like the lubricant and whether it actually sinks into your skin and takes out the correct moisture and is good for your body. And I presented it at my spring symposium at the university with these huge scientific posters. And some of the professors would come up to me because I talked about how KY isn't good for you. And they were like, I had no idea. I was suggesting this to people all this time. Thank you so much. This is so valuable. And as far as I know now, the schools kind of opened up and they do have a sex education course outside of the health realm. They have one in the psychology realm. But I mean, it was absolutely barren beforehand. Amazing. Amazing. Why is KY Jelly bad for you? Because it has this really high os osmolality. I think this is the correct term. I always trip over it. But in essence, what this is, is like osmosis, kind of the movement between cells. So when you use any kind of moisture, lubricant, any type of thing, part of what happens when you put it on your skin is it pulls some moisture from your skin and gives you that instant moist feeling. And then it's supposed to bring back the moisture that it has come from the moisturizer itself, but also from your skin. So you're going to have to have that return. But when it's really high, in essence, what happens is it takes all of that moisture out of your skin and gives you this superficial, super wet and then you get sticky because it's not going back into your skin or you get dry and you get this friction that you find with a lot of these kinds of drugstore lubricants. But when you find something that has a like symbiotic osmolality, it's a lower is what you want. 
this is where you're going to get this great relationship where not only are you getting moisture, but you're getting the return and you have the longevity in your lubricant that you wouldn't find in kind of the typical thing that you buy in the store in any kind of grocery store. I mean, you know, that's so interesting because obviously, particularly being a fan myself of more natural brands than heavily chemicalized brands, I don't even know if that's a word, chemicalized, but I guess I've known that that's my thing and that actually it's better for everyone's body, but I didn't know the detail. So thank you so much for sharing that with us and also for telling us about how you landed here. You are now the educational advisor for a really wonderful band called Bijou Indiscret, which is based in Barcelona. Yes. And I you love are it living here. in Yeah, you're <laughs> living in Barcelona. Barcelona's a really sexy town. You know, it has a a, a kind of a, a really wild feeling to it. I recently interviewed Erica Lust, who lives in Barcelona, and she is a feminist pornographer. And she basically said that for her, Barcelona is really sexy. Do you feel the same? Yes, I love Barcelona. It's so different from any other city that I've lived in and been in, especially in Spain. It has a totally different vibe and it's it's magical to me. But I agree, it's totally sexy. It's very sex positive. And there's a lot of change going on here. Spain is really kind of moving forward in these types of things and sex and pleasure and equity. And Barcelona, I feel like is kind of starting off this conversation yeah yeah exciting stuff going on in Spain so you're you're living in Barcelona and you're working as an, a sex educator what do you think has changed for you because it sounds like as a teenager you were already quite empowered how has learning more about specifics to do with sex sexual intercourse and pleasure given you even more empowerment Well, it's taught me how to know myself because though I was empowered in speaking openly about sex or what I thought my desires were or what I thought was kind of behind my drive, the more I learned about my body and sexuality and was in these kinds of safer spaces around people of all kinds of life having these different conversations, it allowed me to not only communicate what I truly want, but to discover that. So before I didn't masturbate. So I would talk about sex and all this stuff, but I really, at that time when I was a teenager and I was having sex and in my early 20s, it was kind of like, if I want to have an orgasm, I need a partner, specifically a partner with a penis. So then through this time, I got exposed to sex toys and through to good lubricants and kind of enhancement products. And it changed everything for me. And actually, I feel like I did the reverse from most people. So I learned how to have an orgasm through a vibrator and then learned how to do it manually. I, I couldn't, because I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know what I liked. I didn't know where anything was supposed to go. Actually, when I was a teenager, my first boyfriend, I, I was 15. And I was like, I want to learn about my body. So we sat a laptop next to me and like Googled like the vagina. And then I sat down next to, and I was like, okay, you have to tell me like what everything is. I want you to like say the name and like touch. And I want to learn. And so I've always just kind of been this way, but it's really changed not only how I approach things myself, but also how I can help my friends. I think this is also a big thing is helping others. Spaces like this, like this kind of podcast, and you really change people's lives. And people come up to you and just say, you're the only person I can talk to about this. Thank you. 
because we don't have that, especially as women. How do you see educating others leads to a wider conversation around empowerment? I think people are taught so much misinformation. And then this creates so much stigma and so many barriers because people are scared or this is the way people are taught and they think that this is what works and they are not understanding and they're miserable and why they can't get something to look like it does in the movies or sound like it does in porn. So what's become so amazing about this is when you give people the green light or you start the conversation, it's kind of like people feel like they have this permission that they've never been given before. And so now they want to ask and now they want to engage. And I think it just kind of kicks off for them and it gets them started to kind of take a step and say, okay, maybe I'll try a lube. Okay, maybe I'll try to drink more water to improve my orgasm or I will try some little sexy outfit type of thing. So I think you really just have to give people permission and that comes with education. Hold up, hold up. (laughs) Drinking water improves your orgasm. So being hydrated will definitely help you, you know, like having more water and being hydrated and this this type of thing, especially if you want to squirt mostly, but hydration will help you lubricate. And if you're more lubricated, you're going to have more pleasure and then you're going to have your orgasm. Well, or just enjoy the pleasure. It doesn't always have to be about the orgasm. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. I actually recently put a post up saying, not all people can orgasm and not all people can orgasm all the time. And I got quite a backlash from women who um, take, I would suggest a more um, sort of soulful, spiritual, earthly route towards pleasure, absolutely insisting that that's not true and that actually all human beings can. And I, I have to say, I still firmly sit on the side of not all humans can reach full climax because It might be a psychological block, but that may never be resolved. And I don't think we have the evidence yet, the scientific evidence really to prove either way whether or not there is an actual issue with the nerves and the actual connection between the brain, nerve, you know, uh, 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 clitoral G-spot area. So I think we don't have all the evidence yet. Anyway, I'm going on a tangent. My next question for you is um, coming into fantasy. Because this is an area that I think is, it's kind of, it's quite, it's quite popular at the moment. A lot of people are talking about kink and how to push the boundaries of their sexual relationships into something that's a little more fantasy based. But um, I haven't really seen anyone that's done a kind of like room 101 on it. And so we're going to kind of start at the very beginning and I'm going to be your guinea pig. So. Why, why would I want to start introducing? So if I'm in a relationship, which I'm not at the moment, but I'm in a relationship and the sex is either new or has become a bit stayed, why would I want to include a fantasy into my sex life? What would I, what would, what would be the benefits of that? Well, I think the benefits are if you have a fantasy, I mean, we all have fantasies. Come on. I mean, you're inspired every day. And I think fantasies speak to our sexual selves which in our daily lives is always repressed, right? We're taught, we go to work and we have to be in work mode and then we have to be in mom mode and then in sister mode. And so fantasies kind of give you that permission and that platform to step away from all of those different hats that you wear throughout the day. And you get to say, 
maybe I'm going to be someone completely different from my daily self. I'm going to do something that I would never usually do just to try. Like when you go to a restaurant, you just kind of order something new off the menu. And so I think that these kinds of fantasies in your relationships give you the opportunity to think about yourself more introspectively and what you're looking for. And then it challenges you to then communicate that not only to yourself, because sometimes you have to admit in a way, and I'm using air quotes to say, okay, maybe I like something and oh, maybe that's a little too weird. Maybe I'll scare somebody with that. And once you're able to sit with that and be okay with it, then you can communicate it and then you'll really be able to enjoy it. Because if you're still kind of holding on to the shame, shame can be a king for some people, but for a lot of us, it's a barrier. And if we're holding on to it, you're not going to enjoy it. And then you're going to be like, no, 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 I was wrong. This was not for me the whole time. I made a mistake. Shut it down. What do you mean shame can be a kink for some people? So if, so let's, because let's, maybe there's some people listening who I've never had a fantasy because I mean, I would say the first 15 years of my sexual life, I, I didn't have fantasies. I think I was really stuck. And then I think once it opens up, you start to be able to access them more. But if someone who's listening has never, ever had one of that, what are they talking about, these crazy women? Specifically, what does that mean that shame can be a kink? So some people find their empowerment, specifically their sexual empowerment, through things that they were shamed by. So micro penises are the first thing that come to mind when I think of this. So people who have been taught in our society, there's this whole idea that a penis needs to be large and big and this and that. And so some people intake all of the shame and instead of letting it be something that bogs them down, they take it and they say, you know what? I have a micro penis and they enjoy people pointing that out and bringing jests to it and making jokes in ways that most of us would find really scary realities. I mean, I wouldn't want someone to point out something that I considered to be a problem or society taught me was a problem. And these are people who have found a way to take everything that they've been taught and say, no, actually, I'm going to find enjoyment in this and I'm going to find empowerment in this. And now it's my kink and it's a flip around on society. Wow, that's amazing. What would you say are the top three fantasies that women have? So I think the first one would be power dynamics. So in exploring their submissive side or their more dominant side. So this is kind of a big one that I see and that people really want to work on because it's hard, again, taking, excuse me, it's hard taking a step back from your daily self for how you interact all day long. And if you're a highly aggressive or powerful or dominant person to kind of come home and be that way or to step out of that role, sometimes it's hard for us. So this is something that a lot of people try to explore. And usually, you know, it's the people who are CEOs and are very dominant. They want to take that submissive role and the reverse, but it isn't always that way. You know, it, you can be a very dominant person and you want to be a dominant person in the bedroom. And I think for a lot of women, we're greenlit to be submissive sexually, but we need a lot of permission to explore a dominant sexuality where you're in charge and where you're saying what you want and what you need. And a lot of that kind of communication, a physical or verbal, and it scares a lot of people. So a lot, a lot, I keep saying a lot. <laughs> people want permission and people want education because they want to do this safely, but they also want someone to tell them that they can do this. So this would be one. 
I think the second would be kind of this role between pain and pleasure. So this is like a little bit of restraint, you know, maybe using a bit of a prop or even a toy. So some people want to bring sex toys in the bedroom with their partner and they don't know how to approach this without hurting somebody's ego or creating shame in the relationship when you have to explain to someone that, no, it's just, it's an enhancement, you know? We use shovels to dig. We don't just use our hands all the time. Sometimes it's a little bit easier. Tools are great. So I think this is also something, and it goes back again to more so taking care of your partner in this realm. And a lot of times, when people do approach their partner with this, their partner might be a little apprehensive at first. But again, once they have security in the relationship, and once you've kind of talked about this, they're more open to going to do this. And then the third thing I would say is kind of secrecy. So this is the idea of, you know, you put on a wig and you meet someone at the bar and you're a different person or you're having an affair and everything is, hush, hush, secret, secret, who are you texting type of thing. So this is a big fantasy as well. Some people choose to do this with. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A third party. And then some people choose to do this, obviously, amongst themselves and take on completely different personas. So I think at the core of all these fantasies is really just trying to find a new way to explore themselves and their pleasure in a way that they've never, ever been able to or had the permission. It's the empowerment behind that. We're going to take a short break. Before we do, I just want to let you know that this podcast is produced by the female-founded production company, Pineapple Audio Production. Pineapple create groundbreaking podcasts from concept through to your headphones at the very highest level of audio. Their international team support independent podcasts like mine, The Happy Vagina, as well as major brands like the BBC and Grazia. And they are super passionate about helping young people into the audio industry. To find out more, go to pineappleaudioproduction.com or check them out on Instagram at pineappleaudioproduction. And don't forget, this episode has been brought to you by Bijou and Discrets. The team at Bijou and Discrets believe that gender equality extends into the domain of pleasure and that the way to empower women is to create products which break the established rules and offer each and every woman tools with which to get to know and take charge of her own pleasure. There is nothing more empowering than knowledge. So why not discover more on their website, www.bijouandiscrets.com. Is there also an element, and then we're going to come on to toys and how we might get this thing going, because I think that mostly people get stopped from pushing themselves into the unknown zones of their sexual exploration because they don't know how to broach it. Is there an element, she says, speaking for herself, <laughs> like, I just feel like, and I don't know, because it's just coming back to that thing around shame. Like, 
for me, the fantasies that I am able to play out within my sexual relationships with long-term partners are often from quite a naughty place. Now, as is that because is the turn on because it's a bit naughty? And is that because I'm I'm like from a Catholic family or is that human nature? Like, do you think, I'm just wondering, this is such a selfish question, but I'm just wondering whether that's just for me or do you find that other people enjoy playing and exploring fantasy for a completely different reason? Or is the naughtiness of it always part of the ignition around it? That somehow as, as humankind, as human beings, we have been taught deeply that sex is bad. So the more kind of like secretive we can make it, it ignites that part of our potentially quite infantile brain that goes, ha ha, I'm being really naughty. Yeah, I think taboo definitely plays a role in things. And the taboo is kind of what takes away something that may be mundane and make it more interesting. And I agree with you, it's human nature to want to do things when we're told no. And it's kind of what is behind a lot of these fantasies, but not always. I do think that there is an element and there's actually a field in sexuality that you may be interested in. And it's all about people who come from religious backgrounds, Catholic religious backgrounds, and like their sexuality and how to teach them and how to kind of speak with them about things because you have to kind of remove all of that taboo and kind of strip people down a bit and say, it's okay to go on your instincts and feel something and want to do something and recognize that there's a part of you or there is somewhere out there, someone told you you can't do this. And it's okay to recognize that, but then do it anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, I would say it has taken my entire life to be able to integrate the shame that I found felt around sex, being a Catholic woman, and the dogma that's included within the Catholic religion, and also just some of the conversations that went on in my grandmother's house. Sorry, Gran, I love you up there. But you know, like, you know, it was kind of immediate shaming, really, because they didn't have the vocabulary for it. It's not their fault. But it's like, I think maybe I've now taken that shame and made it something that I kind of can really enjoy that I'm being naughty to turn me on. So maybe that's an example of something that you were talking about earlier. Okay, enough about me. Let's talk about how we get this started because I've got a couple of things that I've been preparing earlier for us. One is a uh, chocolate body cream. Paint. I think paint. We, we call it a paint. Chocolate body paint. The other is this slow sex nipple gel, which I've been using for quite a long time because my nipples <laughs> are extraordinarily excitable. Um, and we're also going to talk about how we might integrate a blindfold into pleasure. And we're also going to talk about this amazing candle, which is a soy candle, which smells absolutely delicious. It's quite a soapy smell, I would say. And how once you burn this, you can then use this as a massage oil afterwards. Now, before we look at those and how you might actually introduce those to a partner, how do you bring the topic up initially? Like, what's the very first stage? Or do you walk into the room with the kind of the blindfold and kind of, you know, how does how, how does someone start? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think. Or do you just walk in naked with a whip? <laughs> Yeah. Maybe run in with a bag. You're with me or you're against me. <laughs> I love it. Ultimatum. I think the best thing to start with actually, so when you have this conversation, 
as I said before, you really need to have this conversation with yourself. And I really tell people to practice as silly as it sounds to verbalize something. Cause you know, in your head, you're like, I've got this. I know what I'm going to say. I know what I'm going to do. But then in the moment you're like, and it's gone. So I really tell people to take a look at themselves in the mirror, or if they are too embarrassed to just say aloud what they want to say and how they want to approach it. And to also think about the boundaries, your own boundaries of what you're willing to do, because maybe your partner says, oh, I've been waiting for this. Okay. And now I want to do this and this and that and everything. And so are you prepared for saying yes or no? So have this conversation with yourself aloud, understand your boundaries. And then when you bring it to them, I think the best way is to just be very casual about it. I think when you go, okay, there's something we need to talk about. I want to have this conversation. It's very serious. Please let me finish. You know, you set people up to be anxious or you, you kind of put nerves. And I think the best thing to do is just to say, look, I kind of find this interesting. What do you think? If you aren't ready to give me an answer right now, take some time. Think about it and let me know. I personally have a partner who I think in the moment, I'm very there and he is not. So he's someone that I have to bring something up with. And then I'm like, don't answer because I know you and you'll probably try to people please and just say, yes, stop. Think about this for a day and then let's do it. I also believe in creating a buffer. This isn't like, okay, you're ready, right? Because the room's set up, let's go. This is a give people time to breathe. So could that buffer be a text? Like, would you, is there a world in which you think it's, because I one of the things that's always like terrified me around sex, okay? So whenever I've had to like go and speak to someone about anything to do with sex, uh, before I started the happy vagina, but like, make sure you're like in a neutral space and that you do it in person. And I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with texting? <laughs> like, it, like, is that, is it really wrong to send the text that says, you know, just thinking might be fun to try a little bit of tying up in the bedroom, dot, dot, dot. What are your thoughts on that? Like, so that you sort of test the waters before you, like before they're there and then, and, and then they can't say no because they might not have the insights. You're talking about, you know, you're, you're quite a, a conscious human being and it sounds like your partner is as well. Person might say yes and not really want it. And then you've like kind of, I mean, you know, also it could be really triggering for the person. I think texting is a good thing. I think texting, it depends on your relationship and the knowledge you have with each other. Because I obviously grew up with texting and I've seen many a text get misconstrued when people are really anxious about things. And I'm looking from a more younger perspective of like people who are discovering it. And it doesn't have to be younger, but this is obviously I'm speaking from my own experience. I think texting good, but it doesn't completely hold that connection. And I really advocate for people to speak it to someone. Oh, you do? <laughs> oh, God. I'm on the other team. I just, this is such a friendship. <laughs> I feel like Rachel and friends, I'm like, no, no. <laughs> Put it in a letter, okay. even more so. Let's, let's, let's bring it all the if way back. If you can, do it in, <laughs> in the person. Post. Okay. So, and then, and just in terms of setting the space, if you are going to start to, particularly, I think really, I'm mostly thinking about 
either people in a very new relationship or people in a long, long term relationship where it might have gone a little bit stayed. Do you recommend people use their own space or go to a new space to try these things? I think it depends on who's in your space with you. So I live with my partner, so I can do what I want because I live with my partner. However, if you have a family, maybe you have in-laws who live with you, maybe you have other people in the house and it makes it harder for you to separate yourself from that, then I think it's great to look for an alternate location, go somewhere. And I think it adds to the fantasy. I think it makes you feel extra special to get dressed up and to go somewhere and to leave the house, especially if you're like us and work remote, it's like, oh, it's amazing to leave my work, sleep, sex space and go somewhere new and create an entire fantasy space out of that. Or nothing like going, even if you are going to explore the actual fantasy at home, for me, there's nothing like going out for a dinner with someone and knowing that that's what you're going to do and maybe wearing a piece of underwear so I have some racy underwear that if I'm wearing it when I'm out for dinner with the person that I know I'm going to go home with, it really turns me on to know that I'm wearing it or not wearing it. If you don't wear the knickers or the bra, it's kind of a little secret between the two of you at the dinner before you get home. Once you get home, do you have any tips for people on what they should be doing in the space? Or is it actually kind of like just up to the person? Because I, I mean, you know, the sort of like, the candles and the romanticism it's not for everyone is it some people just want it a bit down and dirty yeah so what I would recommend to people is of course it depends on kind of the fantasy that you're setting forth so I agree it doesn't have to be bubble baths and a rose petal trip that leads you to this gorgeous bed for some people the fantasy is like just being able to walk in the door and get thrown onto the couch kind of thing so I think the space making the space really depends on you and the fantasy and whatever it's going to do to keep you present because this is another important aspect of the fantasy is you have to stay present in it because if you are looking at the pile of laundry that you did not do today that is sitting in the corner of the room it's going to be hard to keep yourself in this persona or this mindset because a part of you is like I really should have done the laundry today why did I not do this right interesting interesting yeah so so a, new, a neutral-ish space might be quite helpful for that. And then moving on to uh, this amazing candle that you have created at Bijou Indiscret, which is, it's, it's a soy candle. Ah, oh, you have one. Here's one I made earlier. I have I it lit. Okay, great. So maybe you could just show us a little bit about, because massage is a really great way. I know that for me, particularly with a new sexual partner, some massage at the beginning can really help me to relax. and. Also, it's a really good way for me to be able to show how I like pressure, which obviously is varied. It's not like I want it consistently the same all the time, but it's a very safe space for me to be able to say, well, can you do a bit more or less of that when it's not actually about trying to reach climax? So what, what, tell, tell us about how one would, would use, we use the candle and introduce the candle. So I think the candle for me is the intro. I tell everyone to get the candle because even if you end up not ever using it for your fantasy, it's a candle. It has multiple uses. So this is great. Always in the end. So I think it's the best for a beginner because it's just candlelight and it's a massage. So it doesn't have to be inherently penetration or sex or this. It could really just be about connecting with your partner and touching them. And it's so much nicer to have a warm massage oil on your skin 
than to just plop some sort of massage oil in your hand. It's kind of chilly and you're like, oh, how am I supposed to enjoy this? So the way this candle works is you light it and basically it heats beneath body temperature, right at body temperature. So you can, I just blew the candle out. I'll angle my camera down a bit. So you can see that the wax is there. There we go. Can you put that you straight on your skin? <gasps> yes. And it doesn't, you can see Can you put it on wet. your hand like this? Yes. And it's smooth. It doesn't get oh, wow. waxy. So people would think that it would wow. get chunky and it's still really smooth. Actually, honestly, I use it on my tattoo as lotion sometimes. It's really nice. Does it then harden back to this on the skin or does it stay like an oil on the skin? It stays oily. As long as you rub it, you know, if you just drop it on the skin, it's going to stay together and it's going to turn waxy again. But as long as you rub it in, it completely, we can go back to my hand, but you can see it's just shiny being moisturized. This is not something you can use on genitals though. This is the body. I was going to ask that. Normal skin. They, we do make that and there are massage lotions like this. People talk about this all the time. So you, you check. This is specifically for massage, but you can get oils that you can use both. Usually they're silicone. So they'll help kind of smooth things out. And I recommend a candle too for aromatherapy. So this is my anal tip, my anal sex tip to people. If it's something you want to try, I recommend a lavender candle, massage candle. And the lavender, it soothes us like we have this natural response as humans that lavender soothes our body so this is what you want and then just give someone a massage rub their butt you don't have to go in but rub their back rub their butt rub their thighs and this is a great way to explore pleasure zone can you use this for anal no you can't put it on the anus but it's to be used on the body to to calm someone down and to make them feel comfortable and then to try if you then want to with a lubricant, but not with this. <laughs> okay. The most obvious next two props that I pulled out that I would like to talk about probably would be the body paint, the chocolate body paint, and the slow sex nipple enhancer. However, I want to jump past those and discuss the blindfold because I'm intrigued to know if we went blindfold first, first of all, how would we introduce the blindfold into the arena? And secondly, what would be the benefit of having these put on you by a partner if you had the blindfold on versus being able to see it happening? And what can the partner do with them to enhance the experience once you've got the blindfold on? So these are the, these are the blindfolds that you have, but you can really, I mean, guys, you can use anything. But this is an amazing silk version that actually has a spot in the middle for where the nose should be. I'm just gonna like tie exactly. myself up here. <laughs> I was doing the same. It's like so racy this podcast episode. I'm just like <laughs> person I'm seeing is away at the moment. I'm like, don't know. Oh well, anyway, pleasure. Yeah. Okay. So this is this is amazing. And actually has such a long train on it that you could also potentially use it for a little bit of tying up as well if you wanted to, I imagine. So how would you introduce this? I personally would tie this around my waist or around my body and make it like an unwrap kind of reveal. But if you are not in that kind of mindset, you can also just wear it with a robe. I think a robe can be really sexy, a little silky robe. And this looks like the thing that closes your robe. And then you just kind of pull it out from the robe. A lot of anticipation there, you know, and someone gets to watch you and then you ask 
come over, put the blindfold on them. As you said, you can tie someone up too. So one of the ways I suggest people to use this is to tie someone's up, not just from the eyes. And that silkiness across the skin is so erotic and so powerful because you just feel it dragging across your skin and it just keeps going and it's soothing and it's relaxing. And then there's anticipation and there's so many layers to it. And I, I like the blindfold because you can do so much with it. I would say actually the feeling of it is very, very sexy. It's like, I don't know what magic potion you've put into this, but, but it's worth using this against your bathrobe belt, <laughs> which is always done in the past. But there is something about this that is really um, evocative. Tell us a little bit about what the slow sex nipple balm does. So the nipple balm is just going to help make those areas a little sensitive. And I also recommend to people, I'm a big multi-purpose person. So I think whatever you get should be able to be used in so many different ways. So you can also put this on the inside of your mouth as well to create the same sensation that you're going to be getting on your nipples. You can also put it on the inside of your mouth and give someone a kiss give someone a little bit of a, a lip massage or use your tongue on something. And then the and then the chocolate the chocolate body paint. I've never, ever, ever had anyone eat food off me. Is that a real thing? I it was the first thing I did <laughs> when I was younger. I don't know if it's because I saw nine and a half weeks age, like I don't know how old I was, but I was a teenager and there's all the food stuff in that and I was like, what's this about? But I don't so tell me, <laughs> do you think this is a good Entry and how would someone introduce someone who wanted to have food eaten off of them and that might turn them on? How would they introduce this to that part of the conversation? I'd say if we're asking for entry points, I still think the blindfold or the candle are the best. I think the chocolate is a bit different because it's like messy, so to say. So it might not be the first thing for everyone, and that's okay. But if you do want to eat something off someone, what I think is nice about the chocolate body paint and the nipple cream and using the blindfold is the fact that if you're blindfolded, obviously your other senses are enhanced. So then when you use a different cream or you use a chocolate body tasting thing, things are going to taste better because obviously our brain shifts things around and enhances our senses. So I think it's a great way to connect and you can go very light, you know, put a little bit on your finger, rub someone's lips with it, then give them a kiss. Like this is simple and it's not messy and it doesn't have to be on your body and then wiping it off you can just do chocolate kisses I mean surely as well part of the thing about the blindfold for me is not actually knowing what's going on the danger of it that I don't know what's coming next so I think that might be quite a fun thing to introduce for that reason if you don't actually know that they're putting something on you that's edible for them to be eating off of you and it is absolutely delicious I've got to say just moving <laughs> uh, beyond these introductions there's a couple of products that I pulled out from the collection that I would like to speak about this particularly the choker I feel I was actually just recently asked if I would take part in a documentary about the issues around choking particularly partners using the suggestion that women their partner wanted to experience some form of choking and then she accidentally lost her life during the sexual activity. So I think it's a really controversial area. Bearing that in mind, let's start with the waist. <laughs> what do you do with this? And, and is it literally just a case of someone being able to 
put this around your waist and kind of hold you with it? Is it more a visual thing? This view, I mean, I think it's beautiful. I'm, you're going to see me. I'm going to be wearing this out over the top of my clothes. It's absolutely stunning. Yeah. So what's cool. So all of these are vegan leather too, because you can kind of hear like while they're being touched, like the leathery sound. So this is one aspect that people like is the texture and feel. So in essence, you're just going to put it on yourself like a typical belt, but those middle loops, you can see there's areas that you can to put your hands through. So you are restrained, but your hands are in a more comfortable place. Like instead of behind your back, they are just at your waist. So you still kind of have access to be able to move and use your hands, but you aren't fully, fully restrained or fully, fully submitted unless you really want to. So you would, you would put the belt, you'd put the belt, do it up. And then you would also put your hands through so that you actually can't move as freely while someone is pleasuring you or you're watching someone else be pleasured, perhaps. Coming on to the choker, I don't feel experienced enough really to talk about it, if I'm honest. And I know that it's something that is very controversial. I have friends who just say that they don't believe for one second that a woman would ever want to be choked or enjoy choking in a sexual relationship. And that, that it's very misogynistic. I, I have to say I don't agree with that. But I do feel that given the amount of people that are using it as an excuse to get off of date murder, I guess, uh, it's, it's really controversial. So how, if, if there is a, a couple or a woman who feels strongly that she would like to explore this a little bit more, how do we use this safely and introduce choking safely into a fantasy relationship yeah so this is not intended for choking it's actually intended for flogging that's why it has these little things here it goes around the neck for wearing it out like to a sexy party and you wear it as a necklace and then you take it off and you put these pieces together to make a little handle and then you can kind of use it as a doll so this is not for pulling someone around <laughs> No, no, no. It's not strong enough for that. But I will speak to, because you brought up choking, that there is a proper way to choke someone. So if someone is curious about this, the proper thing to do is not this kind of thing that people see where you push onto your, like karate chop someone in the throat. You actually just press here on these two pieces, like on your anatomy on the side here. So you can hear in my voice that there's a difference but I can still take a full breath. So this is the safer way to do it. This is not what we see in mainstream pornography or that people kind of hide it, like when people show fight type of thing, but this is the proper technique because you're not crushing your throat. You're actually still giving people access to breath and not creating any harm. How can you whip someone safely? So the what's nice about this is it's a softer leather. It's a lot more flexible that there is a toughness to it. So it really depends where you hit. So if I'm going to hit myself, if I want a bit more pain, I'm going to use the ends. So you'll feel kind of the difference there. But if you want less pain and more kind of like a whap, a hard pat type of thing, you're going to use the middle. So you're still going to feel it, but it's not going to be that kind of stinging like sharpness. And the longer you keep the flogged here, the less painful. So if you want something like tighter and stronger, you would take the grip down a bit and then hit. But if you keep it long and floppy like this, it oh, I hit myself in the face. 
<laughs> yeah, careful. It's dangerous. An excellent segue to to my next question, which is around aftercare and um, safety in 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 this space. So, thank you very much for kind of giving us some top tips on how we might introduce some of these toys into a sexual relationship. Uh, what would be your advice to people in terms of anything that they need to do to look after themselves after the act and how to stay safe within the actual activities? So grateful you brought this up because while we were talking, I was like, okay, I have to remember to bring up aftercare. So thank you for keeping us in in this thought. So yes, aftercare, for those who don't know, it's exactly what it sounds. It's care after the scene. So whenever you do anything with someone and you engage in any fantasy, remember we talked about disconnecting from our daily selves. So now we have to reconnect with that daily self. And to do that is through aftercare. So I really advocate for people having this conversation beforehand of saying, this is what I need. I need you to touch me. I need you to give me questions. I need you to love me and give me lots of affection. Or some people, they like to eat. They like to drink water. Um, so really make sure that when you're setting your scene, as we kind of talked about before, one thing I neglected to mention was have your aftercare prepared. So if someone needs a juice, have your juice ready somewhere. Or if someone needs lots of cuddles, be prepared to do that. And also be able to express that to your partner but beforehand, because afterwards you may be feeling very euphoric and you may kind of miss the opportunity or know how to communicate what your body needs. So come forward with that and communicate. This is a great opportunity to look at your partner and say, what do you need? What can I do for you? Or I really need this right now. Can you please hold me? That's what I need. And they may want you to be closer to them. And so sometimes aftercare can even reflect some of the needs in the relationship. And maybe this person wants to be held more. And this might not be your love language. So it's kind of find a bridge in that gap there. So they say that there are five love languages. I believe it's five. What do you mean when you say, because this is being thrown around loads. What do you mean, Amber, by what someone's love language is? What are love languages? There are five love languages. It's communication, gifts, time, acts of service, and touch. So these are five ways to not only communicate your love to someone, but also a way for someone to communicate their love to you. Mm, okay, great. I think gifts is top of my list. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> That's my number one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just because we've just touched on love languages, I just want to quickly check in before we wrap up today on rejection, because as we touched on right at the beginning, when we were talking about how to introduce these things, you know, it's such a sensitive area for sex, particularly when you're younger. As I've already said, as I've got older, I'm less less shameful, enjoy the shame more, all the things that we've talked about. But what happens if somebody rejects your offering or invitation to expand your sexual relationship into something more kink or fantastical? Yeah, so I always tell people when you hear a no, the first response is always a thank you. You thank the person for being vulnerable, for saying no, or the reverse. If you are the person who said no, you obviously want your partner to still affirm you and say that it's okay. And the best way is just to say thank you. Thank you for feeling comfortable to speak to me about this. Thank you for saying no. And you can accept that, or you may invite your partner to expand the conversation. So I would say the next question would be Would you like to explain? 
Do you have any other thoughts behind it? It seems so formal, but I think it's a great way to kind of see if there's a different road you can take that can satisfy both people. And if there's not, thank you. That's okay. I love that. I learned that from Kate Moyle and then Ruby Rare talked about it too, about consent being a conversation that no, I think and it's so important right now as well in terms of more stringent boundaries that are starting to be suggested in terms of how we relate to each other sexually in, in a world where basically kind of there's been a sort of fumbling between partners of trying to get there and now consent is becoming a real thing, but it's like no doesn't actually have to mean no. Like it means no for now and just to keep that in mind. And it might mean no forever and you have to respect it. But um, consent is a conversation. Amber, today has just been so like fascinating and we've got like a million more questions I want to ask you, but we are (laughs) going to wrap up for the day and maybe, maybe we'll do some more later on. Can I just ask you one final question? Amber Mallory, what makes your vagina happy today? Oh, I think, is it so lame to say this conversation? <laughs> I make no. me so happy. <laughs> and I really, I love community and I love connecting with people and having a space to have these kinds of conversations in a safe way and ask each other questions and learn from each other. That's what makes my vagina happy. So thank you. It's made my ego happy too. <laughs> Amazing. Win, win, win. (laughs) Thank you so much. This is Amber Mallory of Bijou Indiscret, which is an online sex toy fantasy and kink store with some fantastic products. That was Amber. I'm Mika Simmons. This is the Happy Vagina Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you next week. Please like, follow, subscribe to us, support the work we're doing so that we can continue to do it. And don't forget, this episode has been brought to you by Bijou and Discrets. The team at Bijou and Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Discrets believe that gender equality extends into the domain of pleasure and that the way to empower women is to create products which break the established rules and offer each and every woman tools with which to get to know and take charge of her own pleasure. There is nothing more empowering than knowledge. So why not discover more on their website, www.bijouanddiscrets.com.